Part 1, Section 11 of The Dark Flower This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Dark Flower by John Galsworthy Section 11 That twenty-mile drive was perhaps the worst part of the journey for the boy, it is always hard to sit still and suffer. When Anna left him the night before, he had wandered about in the dark, not knowing quite where he went. Then the moon came up, and he found himself sitting under the eave of a barn, close to a chalet, where all was dark and quiet, and down below him the moon-whitened valley village, its roofs and spires and little glamorous unreal lights. In his evening suit, his dark ruffled hair uncovered, he would have made a quaint spectacle for the owners of that chalet, if they had chanced to see him seated on the hay-strewn boards against their barn, staring before him with such wistful rapture. But they were folk to whom sleep was precious. And now it was all snatched away from him, relegated to some immensely far-off future, would it indeed be possible to get his guardian to ask them down to Hale? And would they really come? His tutor would surely never care to visit a place right away in the country, far from books and everything. He frowned, thinking of his tutor, but it was with perplexity, no other feeling. And yet, if he could not have them down there, how could he wait the two whole months till next term began? So went his thoughts round and round, while the horses jogged, dragging him further and further from her. It was better in the train, the distraction of all the strange crowd of foreigners, the interest of new faces and new country. And then sleep, a long night of it, snoozed up in his corner, thoroughly fagged out. And next day, more new country, more new faces, and slowly his mood changing from ache and bewilderment to a sense of something promised, delightful, to look forward to. Then Calais at last, and a night crossing in a wet little steamer, a summer gale blowing spray in his face, waves leaping white in a black sea, and the wild sound of the wind. On again to London, the early drive across the town, still sleepy in August haze, an English breakfast, porridge, chops, marmalade, and at last, the train for home. At all events, he could write to her, and tearing a page out of his little sketchbook, he began. I am writing in the train, so please forgive this joggly writing. Then he did not know how to go on, for all that he wanted to say was such as he had never even dreamed of writing, things about his feelings which would look horrible in words. Besides, he must not put anything that might not be read by anyone. So what was there to say? It has been such a long journey, he wrote at last, away from the Tyrol. He did not even dare to put from you. I thought it would never end, but at last it has, very nearly. 
I have thought a great deal about the Tyrol. It was a lovely time, the loveliest time I have ever had. And now it's over. I try to console myself by thinking of the future, but not the immediate future. That is not very enjoyable. I wonder how the mountains are looking today. Please give my love to them, especially the lion ones that come and lie out in the moonlight. You will not recognize them from this. Then followed a sketch. And this is the church we went to with someone kneeling. And this is meant for the English Grundies looking at someone who is coming in very late with an alpenstock. Only I am better at the English Grundies than at the person with the alpenstock. I wish I were the English Grundies now, still in the Tyrol. I hope I shall get a letter from you soon, and that it will say you are getting ready to come back. My guardian will be awfully keen for you to come and stay with us. He is not half bad when you know him, and there will be his sister, Mrs. Doon, and his daughter left there after the wedding. It will be simply disgusting if you and Mr. Stormer don't come. I wish I could write all I feel about my lovely time in the Tyrol, but you must please imagine it. And just as he had not known how to address her, so he could not tell how to subscribe himself, and only put, Mark Lennon. He posted the letter at Exeter, where he had some time to wait, and his mind moved still more from past to future. Now that he was nearing home, he began to think of his sister. In two days she would be gone to Italy. He would not see her again for a long time, and a whole crowd of memories began to stretch out hands to him. How she and he used to walk together in the walled garden and on the sunk croquet ground, she telling him stories, her arm round his neck, because she was two years older and taller than he in those days. Their first talk each holidays, when he came back to her, the first tea, with unlimited jam, in the old mullion-windowed, flower-chinched schoolroom, just himself and her and old Tingle, Miss Tring, the ancient governess whose chaperonage would now be gone, and sometimes that kid Sylvia, when she chanced to be staying there with her mother. Cicely had always understood him when he explained to her how inferior school was because nobody took any interests in beasts or birds except to kill them or in drawing, or making things, or anything decent. They would go off together, rambling along the river, or up the park, where everything looked so jolly and wild, the ragged oak trees and huge boulders, of whose presence old Gordon, the coachman, had said, I can't think but what these have been washed here by the flood, Master Mark. These and a thousand other memories beset his conscience now, and as the train drew closer to their station, he eagerly made ready to jump out and greet her. There was the honeysuckle full out along the paling of the platform, over the waiting room, wonderful this year, and there was she, standing alone on the platform. No, it was not Sicily. He got out with a blank sensation, as if those memories had played him false. It was a girl, indeed, 
but she only looked about sixteen and wore a sunbonnet that hid her hair and half her face. She had on a blue frock and some honeysuckle in her waist belt. She seemed to be smiling at him and expecting him to smile at her. And so he did smile. She came up to him then and said, I'm Sylvia. He answered, Oh, thanks awfully. It was awfully good of you to come and meet me. Cicely's so busy. It's only the tea cart. Have you got much luggage? She took up his hold-all and he took it from her. She took his bag and he took it from her. Then they went out to the tea cart. A small groom stood there holding a silver roan cob with a black mane and black swish tail. She said, Do you mind if I drive? Because I'm learning. And he answered, Oh, no, rather not. She got up. He noticed that her eyes looked quite excited. Then his portmanteau came out and was deposited with the other things behind, and he got up beside her. She said, Let go, Billy. The roan rushed past the little groom, whose top boot seemed to twinkle as he jumped up behind. They whizzed round the corner from the station yard, and observing that her mouth was just a little open as though this had disconcerted her, he said, He pulls a bit. Yes, but isn't he perfectly sweet? He is rather decent. Ah, when she came, he would drive her. They would go off alone in the tea cart, and he would show her all the country round. He was reawakened by the words. Oh, I know he's going to shy. At once there was a swerve. The roan was cantering. They had passed a pig. Doesn't he look lovely now? Ought I to have whipped him when he shied? Rather not. Why? Because horses are horses and pigs are pigs. It's natural for horses to shy at them. Oh! He looked up at her, then sidelong. The curve of her cheek and chin looked very soft and rather jolly. I didn't know you, you know, he said. You've grown up so awfully. I knew you at once. Your voice is still furry. There was another silence till she said, He does pull rather, doesn't he? Going home? Shall I drive? Yes, please. He stood up and took the reins, and she slipped past under them in front of him. Her hair smelt exactly like hay, as she was softly bumped against him. She kept regarding him steadily with very blue eyes now that she was relieved of driving. Cicely was afraid you weren't coming, she said suddenly. What sort of people are those old stormers? He felt himself grow very red, choked something down and answered, uh, It's only he that's old. She's not more than about thirty-five. That is old. He restrained the words. Of course it's old to a kid like you. And instead he looked at her. Was she exactly a kid? She seemed quite tall for a girl and not very thin, and there was something frank and soft about her face, and as if she wanted you to be nice to her. Is she very pretty? 
This time he did not go red, such was the disturbance that question made in him. If he said, yes, it was like letting the world know his adoration. But to say anything less would be horrible, disloyal. So he did say, yes, listening hard to the tone of his own voice. I thought she was. Do you like her very much? Again he struggled with that thing in his throat and again said, Yes. He wanted to hate this girl, yet somehow could not. She looked so soft and confiding. She was staring before her now, her lips still just parted, so evidently that had not been because of Bolero's pulling. They were pretty all the same, and so was her short, straight little nose and her chin, and she was awfully fair. His thoughts flew back to that other face, so splendid, so full of life. Suddenly he found himself unable to picture it for the first time since he had started on his journey. It would not come before him. Oh, look! Her hand was pulling at his arm. There in the field, over the hedge, a buzzard hawk was dropping like a stone. Oh, Marco! Oh, it's got it! She was covering her face with both her hands, and the hawk, with a young rabbit in its claws, was sailing up again. It looked so beautiful that he did not somehow feel sorry for the rabbit, but he wanted to stroke and comfort her, and said, It's all right, Sylvia, it really is. The rabbit's dead already, you know, and it's quite natural. She took her hands away from a face that looked just as if she were going to cry. Poor little rabbit, it was such a little one. End of section 11 Recording by David Angelo